And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. discussion. Just you and me. About meaning. About the nature of existence. About belief. What do you believe, Mr. Anderson? Greetings, everyone. Welcome. I see Keely Challenge Chat, American Comic Company. Hello and welcome. Good to see you all here. Today, we are talking about The Matrix Resurrections. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor-in-chief here at Sci-Fi For Me. And having a little bit of fun with the opening here because... I'm trying not to be boring, right? We are broadcasting live to Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. The chat is open. Uh, if you are not with us live, you can also leave a comment. You can also send us an email. Live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. This is our next to last show for the year. Tomorrow will be number 350. And we're very excited about that. We are also available on a number of podcast players if you are so inclined to listen to these shows as opposed to watch them. <coughs> so, so let us let us get into it a little bit, shall we? Let me put uh, let me put my regular glasses on so I can actually see what I'm doing here. But uh, hello, everybody. I, the the idea of the matrix resurrections has i mean there are a lot of discussions being had online we saw it at a press screening here not too long ago uh, last week and interestingly enough it feels like that there are two movies out there two different films called the Matrix Resurrections that people have seen, that people have watched. And I'm I'm not exactly sure why we're getting such a mixed reaction. I have I have a suspicion. And Looking at some of the different reviews, reading some of the different articles, examining just what exactly the, the Matrix Resurrections is about makes for some interesting reading, some interesting uh, discussion online going on, because a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people think that it's a little bit too meta, 
It's uh, it's not. There's not a lot of action. It's not kind of. It's one of those things where it's like, well, it's kind of there and kind of not, and and nothing really happens except. It kind of does, and I want to go into some of that today because my my initial reaction when when the when the Matrix first came out, it was one of those things where uh, it was I, it was 1999. I was already you know I was I was pushing 30, so I wasn't I wasn't in that group that was just all agog. Over the Matrix, I recognized the Matrix for what it was, the for for what it is. Uh, it does represent a kind of a paradigm shift, ish, for the movies. Not quite so much in the same way that Star Wars was, but a lot of people were talking about it as being the new Star Wars. It was it was a game changer, especially bullet time. And as I'm watching this film, this unexpected fourth Matrix movie, I'm struck by what's in this fourth Matrix movie about the fourth Matrix movie and about the Matrix franchise in general. There are some different pieces in this that when I came out of the film, when I came out of the screening... I looked at Mindy and I said, did Lana Wachowski become a conservative? Because this film feels like an indictment of everything that the Hollywood machine has been doing for the past five to ten years at least. With regard to remakes and reboots and sequels and prequels and requels. And I have to wonder... Because now that there there are some articles that are now coming out, some videos that are coming out, speculating that Lana Wachowski has sabotaged the Matrix franchise, has ruined it for Warner Brothers, such that they cannot move forward with any more. I'm not quite sure that's the case, but we we'll get into that. One of the other things that struck me in this particular game, when I when I say you know when I say I suspected Lana Wachowski of being a conservative, that's not a bad thing. I know that the Wachowskis are not conservative, either one of them. At least that's the public impression I get. Uh, their frustration at the uh, the appropriation of the red pill being such that you know it's you know they don't want the red pill to be associated with you know right wing politics and I can understand that and retroactively making the matrix about transgender identity I can understand why they would want to do some of that both of them being transgender now. But I don't think that was the initial theme of The Matrix. And I don't think that taking back the red pill is 
actually something that gets done here. I don't think that this film uh, highlights and perpetuates uh, and normalizes transgender identity either. It might peripherally do that, but it doesn't really. I would even go so far as to say that I think what my my takeaway from the entire Matrix franchise now, and I could very well be seeing something that's not there, but I see an allegory for the Christian lifestyle. Now, it may not be there. It may completely be unintentional, but I don't think so. Given how some of these characters have been named, and I'm sure that there's been some discussion about the, 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 the biblical allegories and such, uh, but this film, Resurrections, actually drives home a lot of that for me in ways that I didn't really pick up on because to me, okay, it's the, it's a movie. It was this big. It was this big to do. I didn't see the sequels for the longest time. I just I just watched Revolutions on Sunday, and I haven't seen all of the Animatrix, and I haven't played the video games. I was not deeply invested in the Matrix. I was married. I had a family job this is this is what i'm concentrating on i didn't really have time for a lot of the other stuff but upon sober reflection looking at the matrix quadrilogy as a whole i think you could make the argument that it is a gospel message of sorts and let me let me go through some of that before I get into the indictment of the industry, because I think one feeds into the other. So you have these films. Your main character is Neo, the new man. His, his life partner, his, his, uh, his love interest, Trinity. You've got Morpheus, of course. And aside from the names, which I think are important, Morpheus, of course, representing, I think, death. The concept of waking up to a new life. Our introduction to the real world outside of the Matrix is Neo waking up in his pod and coming out of the liquid that's there in the pod sustaining him. So it's almost uh, the, the back half of a baptism, as it were. And you have Neo, the new man, learning what his new life is supposed to be, learning what his new actions are, what actions he's taking that have consequences and such. He's learning how to control his reality, control his response to that reality, how he behaves in the real world and in the Matrix depends on his knowledge of same. And as he gets through learning 
who he is and what his purpose is, a lot of that involves Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So when, when a person is baptized, my, my theology teaches that when a person is baptized, fully immersed in water, comes up out of the water as a new person, dead to the old life and starting a new life. The slate's wiped clean, and you now have access, whether you keep it or not is up to you, but you now have access to salvation through the power of baptism and belief. And belief comes from study of Scripture, and Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, before everybody turns off, I'm not going to stay theological on all of this, but this is the, this, I'm laying some foundation here. Because I think it comes to play in Resurrections. I mean, the very name of the sequel, Resurrections, I think is not an accident. And this whole thing could be fueled by the grieving process. The Wachowski's parents have passed away. Lily didn't want to have anything to do with this. Lana decided that this is the story to tell in order to process that grief. Okay. And resurrecting Neo and Trinity, I think, gives us another opportunity to examine their relationship because throughout the entire relationship, the new man's relationship with the Trinity is what gives him the power to overcome the Matrix. The Matrix is a lie. The Matrix is a, is a deception. And one could argue that the architect is the devil. The prince of lies, the prince of deceit. The other part of that, and this is reinforced in Resurrections, is that you have Neo and Trinity, a heterosexual couple, and the power of the one doesn't come just to Neo. Neo does not become the one without the relationship with Trinity. And it's not so overt in the original trilogy, but here in Resurrections, it is. Everything depends on the relationship between Neo and Trinity. The analyst says as much. It's not just Neo. The power is increased. The power to overcome, the power to deal with reality and the, the lie of the Matrix <clears throat> comes from the both of them together. The need that each other has for the other. And as a new man coming up out of baptism, born to a new life, you have a second chance to live your life right in accordance with what the Scripture teaches. And the Trinity needs, expects, 
your belief and adherence to that belief. And the way you adhere to that belief is how you act, how you behave, how do you act on that belief. And this film really drives home the, the, the absolute critical nature of that relationship between Neo and Trinity. And yes, they died at the end of the third movie. Neo, of course, sacrifices himself. It's a, it's a Christ figure type of thing to, get, to give you peace. And resurrections could very well be not necessarily a second coming type of story, a revelation type of thing, but the idea of resurrections, reboots, and such is very prevalent here. Not just with Neo and, and Trinity, but the resurrection of Morpheus, the reboot of Smith, the reboot of the architect. It's very interesting. Now, as I said before, I think it's happenstance. I'm not sure that this is exactly what Lana Wachowski had in mind. Maybe it was. Because what happens in Resurrections is consistent with what happens in the original trilogy. And a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people don't like this movie. They don't care for the meta nature of it. They don't really appreciate the lack of action. It's not as intense. But I think it's a deeper thinking movie and I think it says a lot about our society as a whole and I think it says a lot about the industry the entertainment industry the media industry the tech industry and we have this article in Collider James McTeague the producer who has been with the Matrix from the very beginning Started off as a first assistant director and is now a producer on, on this. And he says that Warner Brothers was planning on doing something from the get-go, whether the Wachowskis or, were involved or not. And talks have been going on for years, he says. And we know that uh, that Lana had the idea for resurrections following deaths in the family. And this idea comes fully formed. I'm ready to go. I know what I'm going to do. And Warner Brothers is going to do a Matrix movie with or without. So I might as well jump back in and do this. This is an opportunity for the, the original creators of the franchise to come back to the franchise and still tell the story in their way rather than give up the creative control to some corporate shenanigans and maybe we get another Terminator Dark Fate. Maybe we get Ghostbusters 2016 or we get Dukes of Hazard. By having one of the original creators of the franchise involved in this particular installment, it at least has the potential to stay consistent with the original trilogy, and I think it does that. 
I think also that this is a very obvious, it's not subtle, but I think that this is an obvious swipe, a big middle finger at the Hollywood complex, the Hollywood machine, the, 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 the entertainment, the tech and entertainment sector that has decided to recycle every idea on the planet from the 80s and 90s, especially, and let's just redo everything. Let's just remake everything. Let's, let's keep coming back and, and dipping into that same well instead of digging new wells. And the preponderance of the remakes and the sequels and the reboots and, 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 and whatnot is getting old. I've complained about it a number of times. We've talked about it here, various different shows. And it's entirely possible that with Resurrections, Lana Wachowski effectively shuts the door on any more Matrix films. Maybe. There's always a possibility that Warner Brothers says, let's give it some time, let's see if it's got legs. Because as people start to see this more than once, and I encourage those who have criticized it, those who've said, this is a terrible movie, I encourage you to go back and look at it again. Culture Casino was one of those. I was on Midnight's Edge in the morning, and we were discussing it, and I told them what I saw. And Culture Casino, gentleman that he is, scholar that he is, he said, okay, I'll go take another look at it. And he saw some of the things that I was pointing out in his second viewing. And a lot of people are seeing that. That indictment, that, that critique of what Hollywood has been doing. Lana Wachowski is not taking back the red pill so much as red-pilling the Matrix franchise. Because people are so invested in what makes, the, what makes the Matrix go. What makes the Matrix so successful? You see it in the, in the brainstorming session, the montage of people that are trying to figure out what makes the, what makes the Matrix tick. One word, bullet time. So many people are, are, are fixated on the superficial aspects of the Matrix trilogy that they don't see the underlying subtext of the story. And I think that's a mistake. I think it is a genuine error on the part of these young millennials or whoever else is in charge. The first Matrix made a splash because of bullet time, yes. The story holds up and people still enjoy it because it told a, it told a good story. And the story has meaning. The sequels, eh, okay. I mean, Reloaded was, was, was not bad. Re Revolutions kind of, it kind of goes off the rails a little bit. I can I can acknowledge that. But I can see where it was going. And Warner Brothers is going to do this whether whether you're involved or not, Lana. 
James McTeague even says this. This was, this was going to happen regardless. So in the, the movie, there's even a scene where Smith says, Warner Brothers wants a sequel to this video game. And of course, in the, in the metaverse, in the, in the world of the Matrix, the Matrix is Thomas Anderson's video game trilogy. And it was a hit. And how do we recreate that? How do we do that again? How do we capture lightning in a bottle twice? Because the Wachowskis have not had the gargantuan, massive success that everyone predicted they would have after The Matrix. Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, these films haven't performed well. They've done okay. But by and large, the Wachowski siblings have not had this blockbuster, gargantuan success like you would have expected when The Matrix came out. They were going to be the thing. They were going to be the new George Lucas, Steven Spielberg. <coughs> All sorts of comparisons being made. The Matrix was going to change everything. And it kind of did. I mean, from the standpoint of filmmaking technology and visual effects, sure. But I think Resurrections is also going to make a difference. I think Resurrections is also going to have an impact on the industry. Not by itself, but I think in combination with a number of things, I think people are going to start to wake up to what the Hollywood machine has been doing. And we'll get into that right after this. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. I just can't imagine you reading racy adult material. But you know what? You know what? I haven't, there's an author that I'm a big fan of uh, and he writes a science fiction series and he writes a fantasy series and he writes a smutty series and the smutty series is really entertaining. The H2O Podcast Monday night at 8 only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. From the bunker. And we're talking the Matrix Resurrections. Dive down with me into a rabbit hole, if you will. Let me posit a I have a suspicion, and I don't know that this is correct. I don't know that this is true. It's a suspicion. It is one of those things where 
I could be seeing something that isn't there. Keely Chow says, The Wachowskis could have teamed up with DC to make a comic book series that took place between The Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, also, V for Vendetta, one of my favorite superhero comic book movies and one of my favorite movies from The Wachowskis. Although, it is not... Uh, according to the, uh, according to some, I've actually not read V for Vendetta, but I hear that it's not entirely an accurate adaptation, which is fine. I mean, that's what you're going to do, right? And yes, the Wachowskis had a great deal of potential that I think might, might not have come completely to fruition. But let me take you down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. And this is just me spinning a theory. Just I'm just spitballing here. I wonder if Lana sits there and says too many people are taking away the wrong lessons. And this is something, again, we've discussed in various different places. I've said, you know, when something succeeds, Hollywood always learns the wrong lesson from a success. Hollywood also learns the wrong lessons from its failures as well. Catwoman. <clears throat> Supergirl. It's not because those movies had a female lead. It's because those movies were not that good. And you have this notion now that we have to redo what's already been done. Hollywood has been doing this for a long while. And, and remakes are nothing new. I mean, there have been remakes. The Wizard of Oz was a remake. It's not unusual. But it is unusual, I think, to see so much of it now. And I, and I have put forth my theory before about how the people what in charge of Hollywood right now are trying to hang on desperately to their youth by remaking the things what they grew up with, trying to recapture that feeling that they had when they were kids. They're desperate for that. And I also think that they are desperate desperate for money. They're desperate for creative. And the safe thing to do is something that was popular before. You go for the name recognition. It doesn't always mean that you understand what makes it work. Alex Kurtzman. But the Resurrections storyline has us back in front of uh, the same the same spot, the same starting point we were for the original film. Thomas Anderson learns through the actions of Morpheus that he is living in a construct. He's living in the Matrix. And everything that happened to him before actually did happen. And somehow he has... Uh, sublimated a piece of his brain to program code to, to get something out there that will pull him out of the Matrix. That's where Morpheus 2.0 comes from. 
And the idea of the bots and the swarm and the notion that the studio is moving forward regardless, all of those things being in the movie, I think, serve to criticize the Hollywood and tech society that we live in. We are so wired in to our devices. We are so, I mean, we're essentially tapped into the matrix. We're not a power source so much, but we're a, we're a product. We're a revenue stream for these social media platforms, Facebook especially, but also Instagram, Twitter. They sell ads. They sell information. And all of that comes from us. We, as the users, have become a commodity. We're not people. We're product. And we even see in, the, in, in Resurrections, the analyst sits there and says that there are going to be people who don't want to unplug. They want their safe space. They want to be sheeple. They want to be told what to like and not like and what to be upset about and what to accept. That's where the algorithms come in. That's where the bots come in. Where we are programmed, we are conditioned to think and believe and want certain things and not believe and not want other things. Why do you think that there is such a desperate attempt to deflect any conversation about alternative therapeutics for a particular virus? We can't talk about sunlight. We can't talk about natural immunity. We can't talk about alternate drug therapies. We can't talk about diet and exercise. We can't talk about natural immunity for people who have recovered from the virus. None of that comes through the noise. Not very easily. Social media has these little traps. These fact checks. We are living in the matrix. And there are people who are waking up to that. Who are realizing just how deep in the muck we are and are trying to wake people up and I would submit that red pill does not necessarily have anything to do with conservatism so much as truth the red pill this notion of the red pill versus the blue pill from the very beginning in the matrix scenario the red pill has always meant Learn what's true. The blue pill has always led to diving back into the unreality, the manufactured reality of the matrix. Where truth can be manipulated and altered and manufactured. Whereas the red pill, you see things for what they actually are. And it doesn't have anything to do with conservative versus liberal, progressive 
libertarian, anything like that. I don't think that there's a political aspect to it until you get to what kinds of truths we're talking about. The actual realization that you've been sold a lie and the acknowledgement of same and, and the discussion of, oh, crap, I've been told things that aren't true. That's the act of being red-pilled, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with who you voted for. It's realizing and understanding the real world, whatever that is, whether it has anything to do with vaccines or elections or political parties or social media movements or causes of various different stripes, any, any of that stuff. It doesn't matter. The red pill means I see the truth for what it is. And there's really not any way that Lana Wachowski could take that back because it's not about Republicans. It's about reality. And this film actually kind of reinforces that. I think that there is an argument to be made that the Resurrections storyline red pills everybody who thought that we should go back to the Matrix. That's just me, though. Keely Chow says, I'd love for you to be on either Infinite Talk or Breaking the Narrative on Nina Infinity's channel. I, I would welcome an opportunity to talk to Nina. I enjoy some of the things that she said. I think that'd be kind of fun. I, I will look into that. I think, uh, I think that would be a fun discussion to have. But I think this idea of, of the people, you have, you have <clears throat> some of the media coming out. I mean, you can even see this play out in, in, in the initial reactions, the, the, the reviews, the, 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 the pre-release reviews, where it was being compared to The Last Jedi from Star Wars. And that's automatically a hot button. And to me, it's a dog whistle because there are people, and we know who some of them are, who are on the YouTubes, who are on the interwebs, who have decided that anything having to do with Star Wars or Doctor Who or, or Star Trek or anything else is automatically going to be garbage. And I think that the people who are making the comparison between Resurrections and The Last Jedi are doing it on purpose in order to provoke a negative response, the assumption that's, that Resurrections is going to be woke, that Resurrections is going to be political. It's going to be driven by ideology and identity politics, and it's not. Did I lose my internet? Funny how that works, isn't it? How we're talking about the Matrix and we're talking about the Internet and we're talking about being so connected into a false reality and observing and analyzing how some people are perfectly fine being part of that manufactured reality 
and calling into question some of the truths, quote-unquote, that we've been told. And somehow, oh, hey, we lost our internet connection. Hmm. I am of an age, and I am getting older and more used to the idea that there are no coincidences, Mr. Anderson. We know that Google reads our email. We know that Facebook looks at everything that we do. We know that all of these cookies and bots and algorithms analyze our behavior. And some of these algorithms, they get pretty tricky. And some of them involve listening to what we say. Uh, Keith the Chow says, I'd also love for you to be on yelling at parked cars on Comics Division's channel, Rogue Resistance on Drew's channel. I will reach out to them and, and, uh, and pass that along. I, I, have, I caught uh, Comics Division's show the other day. Uh, this is the one where Culture Casino actually acknowledged that he had gone back through and looked at Matrix Resurrections a second time because he told me he would. And um, I like hearing that I'm right from time to time. I don't always like being right, because depending on the topic. But <laughs> I find it interesting that there's been so much division and reactions to this, but also the fact that here you look at Rotten Tomatoes, Matrix Resurrections has a 65% uh, critic score and 63% uh, audience score. And like I said before, before we get in interrupted by internet drop, I think that comparing Resurrections to The Last Jedi was a deliberate provocation to provoke this... Uh, anger and vitriol and assumption that the movie was going to be bad. Because I think somebody looked at this and saw what it was actually what it was. And maybe the sabotage doesn't come from Lana Wachowski so much as it comes from inside the Hollywood machine that says we can't have people looking at this. We can't have people examining the meta levels of this because this is an indictment of everything Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Hollywood has been trying to do, has been doing. We can't let people see this. And so... Let's compare it to The Last Jedi. People hate The Last Jedi. We'll stir up anger, and we'll stir up review bombs, and we'll get people saying that it's going to be terrible, and it won't do very well at the box office, and then we don't have to make any more, and then five years down the road we can make our own and reboot it. I think that Resurrections is a way for the creators of the franchise to say, enough. We're done. We don't need any more. Now, the ending is left open enough that you could conceivably spin out a sequel, but why do you need to? 
because this film reinforces what the original trilogy was saying, that Neo is not the one. Neo and Trinity are the one. Neo doesn't have the power without her. The new man does not have power to overcome without the Trinity. And if that's not a gospel message, I don't know what is. And I think when you couple that with the brainstorming session where everybody's like, what makes the Matrix work? Bullet time. It is, it is an indictment also of the superficial, the superficial nature of the internet where we can hide behind usernames and avatars and anonymity and say whatever we want to say with relative impunity. And where has that gotten us? A mess. It is definitely uh, something there that I think uh, I think some people didn't want to be there. Uh, Keely Chow says, Warner Brothers to the Wachowskis, we're going to make a fourth Matrix movie with or without you. That's exactly, uh, that's exactly right. James McTeague even said so. There's Mrs. Boss. Everyone with the film is saying no to another trilogy. Now that's another point uh, that, uh, that's another point that McTeague says in this interview with Collider. At this point, at this point, there is no discussion uh, because this this film, Resurrections, takes place in the chronology of the, of the franchise. This film takes place 60 years past the end of Revolutions. And at the end of Revolutions, which kind of sounds like Revelation, but at the end of Revolutions, you have this, uh, this coda scene where the architect and the oracle are looking at each other, and the architect says, how long do you think this is going to last? And the Oracle says it'll last as long as it lasts. Giving us an out that it's this cooperation, this, this, this truce between humans and the machines is not going to be a permanent thing. We're not going to ride off into the sunset with a happy ending forever and ever. Amen. But also in that discussion is the agreement that people who want to get out of the Matrix should be allowed to get out of the Matrix. And that sets the groundwork for what we get in Resurrections. And I think that there's also a little bit of a mea culpa there in that you know, a lot of people are very upset that Neo and Trinity died in the third film. So, okay, maybe that was a mistake. Let's bring them back. But I think their deaths in that, in that film serve a purpose because it sets Neo up, uh, not necessarily as a Christ figure, but, you know, self-sacrifice. The idea of doing for others. You know, greater love hath no man than someone to, to lay down his life for his brother. Neo is the embodiment of that. 
Here are the writers weighing in. Uh, Alexander Hemmen uh, telling Gizmodo it's too early to be involved. There's so many things that need to happen. As of now, this is it. And the other writer, um, David Mitchell, that's the situation to the best of my knowledge as well. Of course, who knows what happens in the future, dot, 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 question mark. To the best of our knowledge, there are no plans. That echoes what James McTeague says. He says, we've got no prequel in mind, we've got no sequel in mind, we've got no further trilogy. This is it. At least as far as they're concerned. Warner Brothers could sit there and say, yeah, you know, it's not. They could still go back and do more. But they'll be on their own. And I think that if they decide to do that, we're going to have another Terminator Dark Fate situation where they're going to go to that well one too many times and they're going to kill the Golden Goose. They're going to kill their franchise. They're going to um, milk this past its expiration date. I don't think we need any more Matrix movies. It's time for something new. We put the remakes to bed. We put the sequels to bed. We can already see this. I mean, yes, Ghostbusters Afterlife sets up the possibility of more sequels, but it also could serve as a one-off that closes that book. Matrix Resurrections does the same thing. It does end on a note that leaves it open for more, but it does it in a way where you could say, that's it, we're done. Turn out the lights, we're closed. And I'm really hoping that it does that. Although, (coughs) if people take to heart what I'm saying and what other people are saying, that upon second and third viewings, you're actually seeing the meta nature of this, and it actually has more meaning than you might initially assume, this thing could grow legs, and it could become a long-range hit, not an overnight hit. Kind of like the way some cult movies become successful. Buckaroo Banzai, The Last Starfighter, those kind of things. Where they gain a cult following, they gain more popularity and success further away from the initial release. And it's entirely possible that Resurrections is going to have that kind of response. Where people are actually going to sit there and go, Oh, I get it now. We have to go watch it again. I'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see what the numbers are six months from now, because it's on HBO Max. People can watch it there. People can watch it in the theaters. I do recommend you see it in the theater, and I do recommend that you watch it because the entire film is one giant red. And that's all I got to say about that. Okay. Tomorrow, the 350th episode of this show. 
Hold on to your hats. We're going to be talking about the new year. We're going to discuss some plans for 2022, uh, some resolutions that we're going to be talking about, and as far as all of the other shows coming back, we will be back on uh, January 3rd for Money Talk here on, on this show. Good Morning Multiverse comes back on the 8th, as does Foreign Bodies, and I think Mr. Harvey and Ms. Walker are going to be talking about holiday horror there, uh, continuing the through line that uh, Christopher Hoffman did here a couple of weeks ago, talking about holiday ho uh, horror stories, ghost stories. Salacious Crumbs with our Star Wars news back on January the 9th, and then the H2O podcast back Monday the 10th. There are a number of programs here for you to enjoy, and I do hope you take advantage of that. Also, connect with us on all of the socials. We're on a number of different video platforms. We've got a newsletter you can sign up for. If you have material to send us for review, uh, you can send it to that mailing address there, 1503 Main Street, number 305. Grandview, Missouri, 64030. Uh, Keely Chow there. I hope 2022 will be a good year for this community. I do, too. I, and, I, and I think that uh, uh, those of you who have stuck around for a little bit, I think uh, hopefully you recognize some value in what we do. We appreciate all of you being here. If you are new to the channel, uh, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on. Uh, feel free to explore the rest of our particular corner of the Matrix. Check out some of the different videos, the interviews that we've had, the, the review discussion, panel discussions. And we're definitely going to be doing more of that uh, as we get into the new year. Very exciting stuff ahead. I can't wait to tell you about it. Some of it I'll tell you about tomorrow, and the rest of it will come later. I will leave you with this thought. It is, I believe, I, I believe this is Mark Twain. I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me. It's easier to lie to someone than it is to convince them they've been lied to. Remember, folks, they want you to think there are five lights, but there are only four lights. Thanks for watching. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. Neo and Trinity are the one. Neo doesn't have the power without her. The new man does not have power to overcome without the Trinity. And if that's not a gospel message, I don't know what is. And I think when you couple that with the brainstorming session where everybody's like, what makes the Matrix work? Bullet time. It is, it is an indictment also of the superficial, the superficial nature of the Internet where we can hide behind usernames and avatars and anonymity and say whatever we want to say with relative impunity. And where has that gotten us?
a mess. It is definitely uh, something there that I think uh, I think some people didn't want to be there. Uh, Keely Chow says, Warner Brothers to the Wachowskis, we're going to make a fourth Matrix movie with or without you. That's exactly, uh, that's exactly right. James McTeague even said so. There's Mrs. Boss. Everyone with the film is saying no to another trilogy. Now that's another point uh, that, uh, that's another point that McTeague says in this interview with Collider. At this point, at this point, there is no discussion uh, because this this film, Resurrections, takes place in the chronology of the, of the franchise. This film takes place 60 years past the end of Revolutions. And at the end of Revolutions, which kind of sounds like Revelation, but at the end of Revolutions, you have this, uh, this coda scene where the architect and the oracle are looking at each other, and the architect says, how long do you think this is going to last? And the Oracle says it'll last as long as it lasts. Giving us an out that it's this cooperation, this, this, this truce between humans and the machines is not going to be a permanent thing. We're not going to ride off into the sunset with a happy ending forever and ever. Amen. But also in that discussion is the agreement that people who want to get out of the Matrix should be allowed to get out of the Matrix. And that sets the groundwork for what we get in Resurrections. And I think that there's also a little bit of a mea culpa there in that you know, a lot of people are very upset that Neo and Trinity died in the third film. So, okay, maybe that was a mistake. Let's bring them back. But I think their deaths in that, in that film serve a purpose because it sets Neo up, uh, not necessarily as a Christ figure, but, you know, self-sacrifice. The idea of doing for others. You know, greater love hath no man than someone to, to lay down his life for his brother. Neo is the embodiment of that. Here are the writers weighing in. Uh, Alexander Hemmen uh, telling Gizmodo it's too early to be involved. There's no, so many things that need to happen. As of now, this is it. And the other writer, um, David Mitchell, that's the situation to the best of my knowledge as well. Of course, who knows what happens in the future, dot, 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 question mark. To the best of our knowledge, there are no plans. That echoes what James McTeague says. He says, we've got no prequel in mind, we've got no sequel in mind, we've got no further trilogy. This is it. At least as far as they're concerned. Warner Brothers could sit there and say, yeah, you know, it's not. They could still go back and do more. But they'll be on their own. And I think that if they decide to do that, we're going to have another Terminator Dark Fate situation where they're going to go to that well one too many times. 
and they're going to kill the Golden Goose. They're going to kill their franchise. They're going to um, milk this past its expiration date. I don't think we need any more Matrix movies. It's time for something new. We put the remakes to bed. We put the sequels to bed. We can already see this. I mean, yes, Ghostbusters Afterlife sets up the possibility of more sequels, but it also could serve as a one-off that closes that book. Matrix Resurrections does the same thing. It does end on a note that leaves it open for more, but it does it in a way where you could say, that's it, we're done. Turn out the lights, we're closed. And I'm really hoping that it does that. Although, (coughs) if people take to heart what I'm saying and what other people are saying, that upon second and third viewings, you're actually seeing the meta nature of this, and it actually has more meaning than you might initially assume, this thing could grow legs, and it could become a long-range hit, not an overnight hit kind of like the way some cult movies become successful. Buckaroo Banzai. The Last Starfighter. Those kind of things. Where they gain a cult following, they gain more popularity and success further away from the initial release. And it's entirely possible that Resurrections is going to have that kind of a response. Where people are actually going to sit there and go, Oh, I get it now. We have to go watch it again. I'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see what the numbers are six months from now. Because it's on HBO Max. People can watch it there. People can watch it in the theaters. I do recommend you see it in the theater. And I do recommend that you watch it. Because the entire film is one giant red pill and that's all I got to say about that okay tomorrow the 350th episode of this show Hold on to your hats. We're going to be talking about the new year. We're going to discuss some plans for 2022, uh, some resolutions that we're going to be talking about. And as far as all of the other shows coming back, we will be back on uh, January 3rd for Money Talk here on, on this show. Good Morning Multiverse comes back on the 8th, as does Foreign Bodies. And I think Mr. Harvey and Ms. Walker are going to be talking about holiday horror there. Uh, continuing the through line that uh, Christopher Hoffman did here a couple of weeks ago, talking about holiday ho- uh, horror stories, ghost stories. Salacious Crumbs with our Star Wars news back on January the 9th. And then the H2O podcast back Monday the 10th. There are a number of programs here for you to enjoy, and I do hope you take advantage of that. Also, connect with us on all of the socials. 
We're on a number of different video platforms. We've got a newsletter you can sign up for. If you have material to send us for review, uh, you can send it to that mailing address there, 1503 Main Street, number 305. Grandview, Missouri, 64030. Uh, Keely Chow there. I hope 2022 will be a good year for this community. I do too. I, and, I, and I think that uh, uh, those of you who have stuck around for a little bit, I think uh, hopefully you recognize some value in what we do. We appreciate all of you being here. If you are new to the channel, uh, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on. Uh, feel free to explore the rest of our particular corner of the matrix. Check out some of the different videos, the interviews that we've had, the, the review discussions, panel discussions. And we're definitely going to be doing more of that uh, as we get into the new year. Very exciting stuff ahead. I can't wait to tell you about it. Some of it I'll tell you about tomorrow and the rest of it will come later. I will leave you with this thought. It is, I believe, I, I believe this is Mark Twain. I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me. It's easier to lie to someone than it is to convince them they've been lied to. Remember, folks, they want you to think there are five lights, but there are only four lights. Thanks for watching. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. have a discussion just you and me about me about the nature of existence about belief what do you believe mr. Anderson Greetings, everyone. Welcome. I see Keely Challenge Chat, American Comic Company. Hello, welcome. Good to see you all here. Today, we are talking about The Matrix Resurrections. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor-in-chief here at Sci-Fi For Me. And having a little bit of fun with the opening here because... I'm trying not to be boring, right? We are broadcasting live to Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. The chat is open. Uh, if you are not with us live, you can also leave a comment. You can also send us an email. Live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. 
This is our next to last show for the year. Tomorrow will be number 350. And we're very excited about that. We are also available on a number of podcast players if you are so inclined to listen to these shows as opposed to watch them. <coughs> so, so let us let us get into it a little bit, shall we? Let me put uh, let me put my regular glasses on so I can actually see what I'm doing here. But uh, hello, everybody. I, the the idea of the Matrix Resurrections has, I mean, there are a lot of discussions being had online. We saw it at a press screening here not too long ago uh, last week, and interestingly enough, it feels like that there are two movies out there, two different films called... The Matrix Resurrections that people have seen, that people have watched, and I'm I'm not exactly sure why we're getting such a mixed reaction. I have I have a suspicion, and. Looking at some of the different reviews, reading some of the different articles, examining just what exactly the, the Matrix Resurrections is about makes for some interesting reading, some interesting uh, discussion online going on, because a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people think that it's a little bit too meta. It's uh, it's not, there's not a lot of action. It's not kind of, it's one of those things where it's like, well, it's kind of there or kind of not, and, and nothing really happens except it kind of does. And I want to go into some of that today because my, my initial reaction when, when, the, when the Matrix first came out, it was one of those things where uh, it was I, it was nineteen ninety nine. I was already you know I was I was pushing thirty, so I wasn't I wasn't in that group that was just all agog over the Matrix. I recognized the Matrix for what it was, the for for what it is. Uh, it does represent a kind of a paradigm shift ish. For the movies, not quite so much in the same way that Star Wars was, but a lot of people were talking about it as being the new Star Wars. It was it was a game changer, especially bullet time. And as I'm watching this film, this unexpected fourth Matrix movie, I'm struck by what's in this fourth Matrix movie about the fourth Matrix movie, and about the Matrix franchise in general. There are some different pieces in this that when I came out of the film, when I came out of the screening, I looked at Mindy and I said, did Lana Wachowski become a conservative? Because this film feels like an indictment of 
everything that the Hollywood machine has been doing for the past five to ten years at least with regard to remakes and reboots and sequels and prequels and requels. And I have to wonder, because now that there, there are some articles that are now coming out, some videos that are coming out, speculating that Lana Wachowski has sabotaged the Matrix franchise, has ruined it for Warner Brothers such that they cannot move forward with any more. I'm not quite sure that's the case, but we'll get into that. One of the other things that struck me in this particular game, when I, when I say, you know, when I say I suspected Lana Wachowski of being a conservative, that's not a bad thing. I know that the Wachowskis are not conservative, either one of them, at least that's the public impression I get uh, their frustration at the uh, the appropriation of the red pill being such that you know it's you know they don't want the red pill to be associated with you know right wing politics and I can understand that and retroactively making the Matrix about transgender identity, I can understand why they would want to do some of that, both of them being transgender now. But I don't think that was the initial theme of the Matrix. And I don't think that... taking back the red pill is actually something that gets done here. I don't think that this film uh, highlights and perpetuates uh, and normalizes transgender identity either. It might peripherally do that, but it doesn't really. I would even go so far as to say that I think what my my takeaway from the entire Matrix franchise now, and I could very well be seeing something that's not there, but I see an allegory for the Christian lifestyle. Now, it may not be there. It may completely be unintentional. But, I don't think so. Given how some of these characters have been named, and I'm sure that there's been some discussion about the, 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 the biblical allegories and such, uh, but this film, Resurrections, actually drives home a lot of that for me in ways that I didn't really pick up on because to me, okay, it's the, it's a movie. It was this big. It was this big to do. I didn't see the sequels for the longest time. I just I just watched Revolutions on Sunday, and I haven't seen all of the Animatrix, and I haven't played the video games. I was not deeply invested in the Matrix. I was married. I had a family job 
this is this is what I'm concentrating on. I didn't really have time for a lot of the other stuff. But upon sober reflection, looking at the Matrix quadrilogy as a whole, I think you could make the argument that it is a gospel message of sorts. And let me let me go through some of that before I get into the indictment of the industry. Because I think one feeds into the other. So you have these films. Your main character is Neo, the new man. His, his life partner, his, his, uh, his love interest, Trinity. You've got Morpheus, of course. And aside from the names, which I think are important, Morpheus, of course, representing, I think, death. The concept of waking up to a new life Our introduction to the real world outside of the Matrix is Neo waking up in his pod and coming out of the liquid that's there in the pod sustaining him. So it's almost uh, the, the back half of a baptism, as it were. And you have Neo, the new man, learning what his new life is is supposed to be learning what his new actions are, what actions he's taking that have consequences and such. He's learning how to control his reality, control his response to that reality, how he behaves in the real world and in the Matrix depends on his knowledge of same. And as he gets through learning who he is and what his purpose is, a lot of that involves Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So when, when a person is baptized, my, my theology teaches that when a person is baptized, fully immersed in water, comes up out of the water as a new person, dead to the old life and starting a new life. The slate's wiped clean, and you now have access, whether you keep it or not is up to you, but you now have access to salvation through the power of baptism and belief. And belief comes from study of Scripture, and Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, before everybody turns off, I'm not going to stay theological on all of this, but this is the, this, I'm laying some foundation here. Because I think it comes to play in... Resurrections. I mean, the very name of the sequel, Resurrections, I think is not an accident. And this whole thing could be fueled by the grieving process. The Wachowskis' parents have passed away. Lily didn't want to have anything to do with this. Lana decided that this is the story to tell in order to process that grief. Okay. And resurrecting Neo and Trinity, I think, gives us another opportunity to examine their relationship. Because throughout the entire relationship, the new man's relationship with the Trinity is what gives him 
the power to overcome the matrix. The matrix is a lie. The matrix is a, is a deception. And one could argue that the architect is the devil. The prince of lies, the prince of deceit. The other part of that, and this is reinforced in Resurrections, is that you have Neo and Trinity, a heterosexual couple, and the power of the One doesn't come just to Neo. Neo does not become the One without the relationship with Trinity. And... It's not so overt in the original trilogy, but here in Resurrections, it is. Everything depends on the relationship between Neo and Trinity. The analyst says as much. It's not just Neo. The power is increased. The power to overcome, the power to deal with reality and the the lie of the Matrix <clears throat> comes from the both of them together. The need that each other has for the other. And as a new man coming up out of baptism, born to a new life, you have a second chance to live your life right in accordance with what the Scripture teaches. And... The Trinity needs, expects your belief and adherence to that belief. And the way you adhere to that belief is how you act, how you behave, how do you act on that belief. And this film really drives home the, the, the absolute critical nature of that relationship between Neo and Trinity. And yes, they died at the end of the third movie. Neo, of course, sacrifices himself. It's a, it's a Christ figure type of thing to, get, to give you peace. And Resurrections could very well be not necessarily a second coming type of story, a revelation type of thing, but the idea of Resurrections reboots and such is very prevalent here. Not just with Neo and, and Trinity, but the resurrection of Morpheus, the reboot of Smith, the reboot of the architect. It's very interesting. Now, as I said before, I think it's happenstance. I'm not sure that this is exactly what Lana Wachowski had in mind. Maybe it was. Because what happens in Resurrections is consistent with what happens in the original trilogy. And a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people don't like this movie. They don't care for the meta nature of it. They don't really appreciate the lack of action. It's not as intense but I think it's a deeper thinking movie 
And I think it says a lot about our society as a whole. And I think it says a lot about the industry, the entertainment industry, the media industry, the tech industry. And we have this article in Collider, James McTeague, the producer, who has been with The Matrix from the very beginning, started off as a first assistant director, and is now a producer on, on this. And he says that Warner Brothers was planning on doing something from the get-go, whether the Wachowskis or, were involved or not. And talks have been going on for years, he says. And we know that uh, that Lana had the idea for resurrections following deaths in the family. And this idea comes fully formed. I'm ready to go. I know what I'm going to do. And Warner Brothers is going to do a Matrix movie with or without, so I might as well jump back in and do this. This is an opportunity for the the original creators of the franchise to come back to the franchise and still tell the story in their way rather than give up the creative control to some corporate shenanigans and maybe we get another Terminator Dark Fate. Maybe we get Ghostbusters 2016. Or we get Dukes of Hazard By having one of the original creators of the franchise involved in this particular installment, it at least has the potential to stay consistent with the original trilogy, and I think it does that. I think also that this is a very obvious... It's not subtle... But I think that this is an obvious swipe, a big middle finger at the Hollywood complex, the Hollywood machine, the, 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 the entertainment, the tech and entertainment sector that has decided to recycle every idea on the planet from the 80s and 90s, especially. And let's just redo everything. Let's just remake everything. Let's let's keep coming back and, and dipping into that same well instead of digging new wells. And the preponderance of the remakes and the sequels and the reboots and, 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 and whatnot is getting old. I've complained about it a number of times. We've talked about it here, various different shows. And it's entirely possible... That with Resurrections, Lana Wachowski effectively shuts the door on any more Matrix films. Maybe. There's always a possibility that Warner Brothers says, let's give it some time, let's see if it's got legs. Because as people start to see this more than once, and I encourage those who have criticized it, those who've said, this is a terrible movie... I encourage you to go back and look at it again. Culture Casino was one of those. I was on Midnight's Edge in the morning, and we were discussing it, and I told them what I saw, 
And Culture Casino, gentleman that he is, scholar that he is, he said, okay, I'll go take another look at it. And he saw some of the things that I was pointing out in his second viewing. And a lot of people are seeing that. That indictment, that, that critique of what Hollywood has been doing. Lana Wachowski is not taking back the red pill so much as red-pilling the Matrix franchise. Because people are so invested in what makes the, what makes the Matrix go. What makes the Matrix so successful? You see it in the in the brainstorming session, the montage of people that are trying to figure out what makes the what makes the Matrix tick. One word: bullet time. So many people are 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 fixated on the superficial aspects of the Matrix trilogy that they don't see the underlying subtext. Of the story, and I think that's a mistake. I think it is a genuine error on the part of these young millennials or whoever else is in charge. The first Matrix made a splash because of bullet time, yes. The story holds up and people still enjoy it because it told a it told a good story and the story has meaning the sequels eh, okay i mean reloaded was 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 not bad Re- revolutions kind of it kind of goes off the rails a little bit i can i can acknowledge that but i can see where it was going And Warner Brothers is going to do this whether whether you're involved or not, Lana. James McTeague even says this. This was this was going to happen regardless. So in the movie, there's even a scene where Smith says, "Warner Brothers wants a sequel to this video game." And of course, in the in the metaverse, in the in the world of the Matrix, the Matrix is Thomas Anderson's video game trilogy, and it was a hit. And how do we recreate that? How do we do that again? How do we capture lightning in a bottle twice? Because the Wachowskis have not had the gargantuan, massive success that everyone predicted they would have after The Matrix. Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, these films haven't performed well. They've done okay. But by and large, the Wachowski siblings have not had this blockbuster, gargantuan success like you would have expected when The Matrix came out. They were going to be the thing. They were going to be the new George Lucas, Steven Spielberg. (coughs) All sorts of comparisons being made. The Matrix was going to change everything. And it kind of did. I mean, from the standpoint of filmmaking technology and visual effects, sure. But I think Resurrections is also going to make a difference. I think Resurrections is also going to have an impact on the industry. Not by itself, 
But I think in combination with a number of things, I think people are going to start to wake up to what the Hollywood machine has been doing. And we'll get into that right after this. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. I just can't imagine you reading racy adult material. But you know what? You know what? I have a, there's an author that I'm a big fan of, uh, and he writes a science fiction series, and he writes a fantasy series, and he writes a smutty series. And the smutty series is really entertaining. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. from the bunker and we're talking the matrix resurrections dive down with me into a rabbit hole if you will let me posit a I have a suspicion, and I don't know that this is correct. I don't know that this is true. It's a suspicion. It is one of those things where I could be seeing something that isn't there. Keely Chow says the Wachowskis could have teamed up with DC to make a comic book series that took place between The Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, also, V for Vendetta, one of my favorite superhero comic book movies and one of my favorite movies from The Wachowskis. Although, it is not, uh, according, to the, uh, according to some, I've actually not read V for Vendetta, but I hear that it's not entirely an accurate adaptation. Which is fine. I mean, that's what you're going to do, right? And yes, the Wachowskis had a great deal of potential that I think might, might not have come completely to fruition. But let me take you down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. And this is just me spinning a theory. Just, I'm just spitballing here. I wonder... If Lana sits there and says, too many people are taking away the wrong lessons. And this is something, again, we've discussed in various different places. I've said, you know, when something succeeds, Hollywood always learns the wrong lesson from a success. Hollywood also learns the wrong lessons from its failures as well. Catwoman. <clears throat> Supergirl. It's not because those movies had a female lead. It's because those movies were not that good. 
And you have this notion now that we have to redo what's already been done. Hollywood has been doing this for a long while. And, and remakes are nothing new. I mean, there have been remakes. The Wizard of Oz was a remake. It's not unusual. But it is unusual, I think, to see so much of it now. And I, and I have put forth my theory before about how the people what in charge of Hollywood right now are trying to hang on desperately to their youth by remaking the things what they grew up with, trying to recapture that feeling that they had when they were kids. They're desperate for that. And I also think that they are desperate desperate for money. They're desperate for creative. And the safe thing to do is something that was popular before. You go for the name recognition. It doesn't always mean that you understand what makes it work. Alex Kurtzman. But the Resurrections storyline has us back in front of uh, the same pos- the same spot, the same starting point we were for the original film. Thomas Anderson learns through the actions of Morpheus that he is living in a construct. He's living in the Matrix. And everything that happened to him before actually did happen. And somehow he has... Uh, sublimated a piece of his brain to program code to to get something out there that will pull him out of the Matrix. That's where Morpheus 2.0 comes from. And the idea of the bots and the swarm and the notion that the studio is moving forward regardless... All of those things being in the movie, I think, serve to criticize the Hollywood and tech society that we live in. We are so wired in to our devices. We are so, I mean, we're essentially tapped into the matrix. We're not a power source so much, but we're a, we're a product. We're a revenue stream for these social media platforms, Facebook especially, but also Instagram, Twitter. They sell ads. They sell information. And all of that comes from us. We, as the users, have become a commodity. We're not people. We're product. And we even see in, the, in, in Resurrections, the analyst sits there and says that there are going to be people who don't want to unplug. They want their safe space. They want to be sheeple. They want to be told what to like and not like and what to be upset about and what to accept. That's where the algorithms come in. That's where the bots come in. Where we are programmed, we are conditioned to think and believe and want certain things 
and not believe and not want other things? Why do you think that there is such a desperate attempt to deflect any conversation about alternative therapeutics for a particular virus? We can't talk about sunlight. We can't talk about natural immunity. We can't talk about alternate drug therapies. We can't talk about diet and exercise. We can't talk about natural immunity for people who have recovered from the virus. None of that comes through the noise. Not very easily. Social media has these little traps. These fact checks. We are living in the matrix. And there are people who are waking up to that, who are realizing just how deep in the muck we are and are trying to wake people up. And I would submit that Red Pill does not necessarily have anything to do with conservatism so much as truth. The red pill, this notion of the red pill versus the blue pill, from the very beginning in the Matrix scenario, the red pill has always meant learn what's true. The blue pill has always led to diving back into the unreality, the manufactured reality of the Matrix, where truth can be manipulated and altered and manufactured whereas the red pill you see things for what they actually are and it doesn't have anything to do with conservative versus liberal progressive libertarian anything like that i don't think that there's a political aspect to it until you get to what kinds of truths we're talking about the actual realization that you've been sold a lie and the acknowledgement of same and, and the discussion of, oh, crap, I've been told things that aren't true. That's the act of being red-pilled, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with who you voted for. It's realizing and understanding the real world, whatever that is, whether it has anything to do with vaccines or elections or political parties or social media movements or causes of various different stripes, any, any of that stuff. It doesn't matter. The red pill means I see the truth for what it is. And there's really not any way that Lana Wachowski could take that back because it's not about Republicans. It's about reality. And this film actually kind of reinforces that. I think that there is an argument to be made that the Resurrections storyline red pills everybody who thought that we should go back to the Matrix. That's just me, though. Keely Chow says, I'd love for you to be on either Infinite Talk or Breaking the Narrative on Nina Infinity's channel. I, I would welcome an opportunity to talk to Nina. I enjoy some of the things that she said. 
I think that'd be kind of fun. I I will look into that. I think uh, I think that would be a fun discussion to have. But I think this idea of of the people you have you have <clears throat> some of the media coming out. I mean, you can even see this play out in 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 the initial reactions, the 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 reviews, the 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 pre-release reviews where it was being compared to the last Jedi from Star Wars. And that's automatically a hot button. And to me, it's a dog whistle because there are people, and we know who some of them are, who are on the YouTubes, who are on the interwebs, who have decided that anything having to do with Star Wars or Doctor Who or, or Star Trek or anything else is automatically going to be garbage. And I think that the people who are making the comparison between Resurrections and The Last Jedi are doing it on purpose in order to provoke a negative response, the assumption that Resurrections is going to be woke, that Resurrections is going to be political. It's going to be driven by ideology and identity politics, and it's not. Did I lose my internet? Funny how that works, isn't it? How we're talking about the Matrix and we're talking about the Internet and we're talking about being so connected into a false reality and observing and analyzing how some people are perfectly fine being part of that manufactured reality and calling into question some of the truths, quote-unquote, that we've been told, and somehow, oh, hey, we lost our internet connection. Hmm. I am of an age, and I am getting older and more used to the idea that there are no coincidences, Mr. Anderson. We know that Google reads our email. We know that Facebook looks at everything that we do. We know that all of these cookies and bots and algorithms analyze our behavior. And some of these algorithms... They get pretty tricky. And some of them involve listening to what we say. Uh, Keith the Chow says, I'd also love for you to be on Yelling at Parked Cars on Comics Division's channel, Rogue Resistance on Drew's channel. I will reach out to them and, and, uh, and pass that along. I, I, have, I caught uh, Comics Division's show the other day uh, this is the one where Culture Casino actually acknowledged that he had gone back through and looked at Matrix Resurrections a second time because he told me he would. And um, I like hearing that I'm right from time to time. I don't always like being right because depending on the topic. But <laughs> I find it interesting that there's been so much division in reactions to this, but also the fact that here you look at Rotten Tomatoes, Matrix Resurrections has a 65% uh, critic score and 63% uh, audience score. 
And like I said before, before we get in, interrupted by internet drop, I think that comparing Resurrections to The Last Jedi was a deliberate provocation to provoke this uh, anger and vitriol and assumption that the movie was going to be bad. Because I think somebody looked at this and saw what it was actually what it was. And maybe the sabotage doesn't come from Lena Wachowski so much as it comes from inside the Hollywood machine that says we can't have people looking at this. We can't have people examining the meta levels of this because this is an indictment of everything Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Hollywood has been trying to do, has been doing. We can't let people see this. And so, let's compare it to The Last Jedi. People hate The Last Jedi. We'll stir up anger, and we'll stir up review bombs, and we'll get people saying that it's going to be terrible, and it won't do very well at the box office, and then we don't have to make any more, and then five years down the road we can make our own and reboot it. I think that Resurrections is a way for the creators of the franchise to say, enough. We're done. We don't need any more. Now, the ending is left open enough that you could conceivably spin out a sequel, but why do you need to? Because this film reinforces what the original trilogy was saying. That Neo is not the one. Neo and Trinity are the one. Neo doesn't have the power without her. The new man does not have power to overcome without the Trinity. And if that's not a gospel message, I don't know what is. And I think when you couple that with the brainstorming session where everybody's like, what makes the Matrix work? Bullet time. It is, it is an indictment also of the superficial, the superficial nature of the internet where we can hide behind usernames and avatars and anonymity and say whatever we want to say with relative impunity. And where has that gotten us? A mess. It is definitely uh, something there that I think uh, I think some people didn't want to be there. Uh, Keely Chow says, Warner Brothers to the Wachowskis, we're going to make a fourth Matrix movie with or without you. That's exactly, uh, that's exactly right. James McTeague even said so. There's Mrs. Boss. Everyone with the film is saying no to another trilogy. Now that's another point uh, that, uh, that's another point that McTeague says in this interview with Collider. At this point, at this point, there is no discussion 
because this this film Resurrections takes place in the chronology of the of the franchise. This film takes place 60 years past the end of Revolutions. And at the end of Revolutions, which kind of sounds like Revelation, but at the end of Revolutions, you have this uh, this coda scene where the architect and the oracle are looking at each other, and the architect says, how long do you think this is going to last? And the oracle says, it'll last as long as it lasts. Giving us an out that it's this cooperation, this, this, this truce between humans and the machines is not going to be a permanent thing. We're not going to ride off into the sunset with a happy ending forever and ever. Amen. But also in that discussion is the agreement that people who want to get out of the Matrix should be allowed to get out of the Matrix. And that sets the groundwork for what we get in Resurrections. And I think that there's also a little bit of a mea culpa there in that you know, a lot of people are very upset that Neo and Trinity died in the third film. So, okay, maybe that was a mistake. Let's bring them back. But I think their deaths in that, in that film serve a purpose because it sets Neo up, uh, not necessarily as a Christ figure, but, you know, self-sacrifice. The idea of doing for others... You know, greater love hath no man than someone to, to lay down his life for his brother. Neo is the embodiment of that. Here are the writers weighing in. Uh, Alexander Hemmen uh, telling Gizmodo it's too early to be involved. There's no, so many things that need to happen. As of now, this is it. And the other writer, um, David Mitchell, that's the situation to the best of my knowledge as well. Of course, who knows what happens in the future, dot, 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 question mark. To the best of our knowledge, there are no plans. That echoes what James McTeague says. He says, we've got no prequel in mind, we've got no sequel in mind, we've got no further trilogy. This is it. At least as far as they're concerned. Warner Brothers could sit there and say, yeah, you know, it's not. They could still go back and do more. But they'll be on their own. And I think that if they decide to do that, we're going to have another Terminator Dark Fate situation where they're going to go to that well one too many times and they're going to kill the Golden Goose. They're going to kill their franchise. They're going to... Um, milk this past its expiration date. I don't think we need any more Matrix movies. It's time for something new. We put the remakes to bed. We put the sequels to bed. We can already see this. I mean, yes, Ghostbusters Afterlife sets up the possibility of more sequels, but it also could serve as a one-off that closes that book. Matrix Resurre Resurrections does the same thing. It does 
end on a note that leaves it open for more, but it does it in a way where you could say, that's it, we're done. Turn out the lights, we're closed. And I'm really hoping that it does that. Although, <coughs> if people take to heart what I'm saying and what other people are saying, that upon second and third viewings, you're actually seeing the meta nature of this, and it actually has more meaning than you might initially assume, this thing could grow legs, and it could become a long-range hit, not an overnight hit. Kind of like the way some cult movies become successful. Buckaroo Banzai. The Last Starfighter, those kind of things. Where they gain a cult following, they gain more popularity and success further away from the initial release. And it's entirely possible that Resurrections is going to have that kind of response. Where people are actually going to sit there and go, Oh, I get it now. We have to go watch it again. I'll be, interesting, I'll be interested to see what the numbers are six months from now. Because it's on HBO Max. People can watch it there. People can watch it in the theaters. I do recommend you see it in the theater. And I do recommend that you watch it. Because the entire film is one giant red pill. And that's all I got to say about that. Okay. Tomorrow, the 350th episode of this show, hold on to your hats. We're going to be talking about the new year. We're going to discuss some plans for 2022. Uh, some resolutions that we're going to be talking about. And as far as all of the other shows coming back, we will be back on uh, January 3rd for Money Talk here on, on this show. Good Morning Multiverse comes back on the 8th, as does Foreign Bodies. And I think Mr. Harvey and Ms. Walker are going to be talking about holiday horror there. Uh, continuing the through line that uh, Christopher Hoffman did here a couple of weeks ago, talking about holiday ho uh, horror stories, ghost stories. Salacious Crumbs with our Star Wars news back on January the 9th, and then the H2O podcast back Monday the 10th. There are a number of programs here for you to enjoy, and I do hope you take advantage of that. Also, connect with us on all of the socials. We're on a number of different video platforms. We've got a newsletter you can sign up for. If you have material to send us for review, uh, you can send it to that mailing address there, 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. Uh, Keely Chow there. I hope 2022 will be a good year for this community. I do too. I, and, I, and I think that... Uh, uh, those of you who have stuck around for a little bit, I think uh, hopefully you recognize some value in what we do. We appreciate all of you being here. If you are new to the channel, uh, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on. 
Uh, feel free to explore the rest of our particular corner of the matrix. Check out some of the different videos, the interviews that we've had, the, the review discussion, panel discussions. And we're definitely going to be doing more of that uh, as we get into the new year. Very exciting stuff ahead. I can't wait to tell you about it. Some of it I'll tell you about tomorrow, and the rest of it will come later. I will leave you with this thought. It is, I believe, I, I believe this is Mark Twain. I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me. It's easier to lie to someone than it is to convince them they've been lied to. Remember, folks, they want you to think there are five lights, but there are only four lights. Thanks for watching. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. discussion just you and me about meaning about the nature of existence about belief what do you believe mr. Anderson Greetings, everyone. Welcome. I see Keely Challenge Chat, American Comic Company. Hello and welcome. Good to see you all here. Today, we are talking about The Matrix Resurrections. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor-in-chief here at Sci-Fi For Me. And having a little bit of fun with the opening here because... I'm trying not to be boring, right? We are broadcasting live to Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. The chat is open. Uh, if you are not with us live, you can also leave a comment. You can also send us an email. Live from the bunker at sci-fi-for-me.com. This is our next to last show for the year. Tomorrow will be number 350. And we're very excited about that. We are also available on a number of podcast players if you are so inclined to listen to these shows as opposed to watch them. <coughs> so, so let us let us get into it a little bit, shall we? Let me put uh, 
let me put my regular glasses on so I can actually see what I'm doing here. But uh, hello, everybody. I, the The idea of the Matrix Resurrections has, I mean, there are a lot of discussions being had online. We saw it at a press screening here not too long ago uh, last week, and interestingly enough, it feels like that there are two movies out there, two different films called The Matrix Resurrections that people have seen, that people have watched, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure why we're getting such a mixed reaction. I have, I have a suspicion. And looking at some of the different reviews, reading some of the different articles, examining just what exactly the, the Matrix Resurrections is about, makes for some interesting reading, some interesting uh, discussion online going on, because a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people think that it's a little bit too meta. It's uh, it's not. There's not a lot of action. It's not kind of. It's one of those things where it's like, well, it's kind of there or kind of not, and and nothing really happens except it kind of does. And I want to go into some of that today because my my initial reaction when when the when the matrix first came out it was one of those things where uh it was i it was 1999 i was already you know i was i was pushing 30 so i wasn't i wasn't in that group that was just all agog over the matrix i recognized the matrix for what it was the for for what it is uh, it does represent a kind of a paradigm shift-ish for the movies. Not quite so much in the same way that Star Wars was, but a lot of people were talking about it as being the new Star Wars. It was, it was a game changer, especially bullet time. And as I'm watching this film, this unexpected fourth Matrix movie... I'm struck by what's in this fourth Matrix movie about the fourth Matrix movie and about the Matrix franchise in general. There are some different pieces in this that when I came out of the film, when I came out of the screening, I looked at Mindy and I said, did Lana Wachowski become a conservative? Because this film feels like an indictment of everything that the Hollywood machine has been doing for the past five to ten years at least with regard to remakes and reboots and sequels and prequels and requels. And I have to wonder, because now that the, there, there are some articles that are now coming out, some videos that are coming out, speculating that Lana Wachowski has sabotaged the Matrix franchise, has ruined it for Warner Brothers such that they cannot move forward with any more. 
I'm not quite sure that's the case. But, we'll get into that. One of the other things that struck me in this particular game, when I, when I say, you know, when I say I suspected Lana Wachowski of being a conservative, that's not a bad thing. I know that the Wachowskis are not conservative, either one of them. At least that's the public impression I get. Uh, their frustration at the, uh, the appropriation of the red pill being such that, you know, it's, you know, they don't want the red pill to be associated with, you know, right-wing politics. And I can understand that. And retroactively making the matrix about transgender identity, I can understand why they would want to do some of that, both of them being transgender now. But I don't think that was the initial theme of the Matrix. And I don't think that taking back the red pill is actually something that gets done here. I don't think that this film uh, highlights and perpetuates uh, and normalizes transgender identity either. It might peripherally do that, but it doesn't really. I would even go so far as to say that I think what my, my takeaway from the entire Matrix franchise now and... I could very well be seeing something that's not there. But I see an allegory for the Christian lifestyle. Now, it may not be there. It may completely be unintentional. But I don't think so. Given how some of these characters have been named, and I'm sure that there's been some discussion about the, 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 the biblical allegories and such, uh, but this film, Resurrections, actually drives home a lot of that for me in ways that I didn't really pick up on because to me, okay, it's the, it's a movie. It was this big. It was this big to do. I didn't see the sequels for the longest time. I just I just watched Revolutions on Sunday, and I haven't seen all of the Animatrix, and I haven't played the video games. I was not deeply invested in the Matrix. I was married. I had a family job this is this is what i'm concentrating on i didn't really have time for a lot of the other stuff but upon sober reflection looking at the matrix quadrilogy as a whole i think you could make the argument that it is a gospel message of sorts and let me let me go through some of that before I get into the indictment of the industry, because I think one feeds into the other. 
So you have these films. Your main character is Neo, the new man. His his life partner, his his uh, his love interest, Trinity. You've got Morpheus, of course. And aside from the names, which I think are important, Morpheus, of course, representing I think death. The concept of waking up to a new life. Our introduction to the real world outside of the Matrix is Neo waking up in his pod and coming out of the liquid that's there in the pod sustaining him. So it's almost uh, the, the back half of a baptism, as it were. And you have Neo, the new man, learning what his new life is is supposed to be, learning what his new actions are, what actions he's taking that have consequences and such. He's learning how to control his reality, control his response to that reality, how he behaves in the real world and in the Matrix depends on his knowledge of same. And as he gets through learning who he is and what his purpose is, a lot of that involves Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So when, when a person is baptized, my, my theology teaches that when a person is baptized, fully immersed in water, comes up out of the water as a new person, dead to the old life and starting a new life. The slate's wiped clean, and you now have access, whether you keep it or not is up to you, but you now have access to salvation through the power of baptism and belief. And belief comes from study of Scripture, and Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, before everybody turns off, I'm not going to stay theological on all of this, but this is the, this, I'm laying some foundation here. Because I think it comes to play in... Resurrections. I mean, the very name of the sequel, Resurrections, I think is not an accident. And this whole thing could be fueled by the grieving process. The Wachowski's parents have passed away. Lily didn't want to have anything to do with this. Lana decided that this is the story to tell in order to process that grief. Okay. And resurrecting Neo and Trinity, I think, gives us another opportunity to examine their relationship. Because throughout the entire relationship, the new man's relationship with the Trinity is what gives him the power to overcome the Matrix. The Matrix is a lie. The Matrix is a, is a deception. And one could argue that the architect is the devil, the prince of lies, the prince of deceit. The other part of that, and this is reinforced in Resurrections, is that you have Neo and Trinity, a heterosexual couple, and the power of the one 
doesn't come just to Neo. Neo does not become the one without the relationship with Trinity. And it's not so overt in the original trilogy, but here in Resurrections, it is. Everything depends on the relationship between Neo and Trinity. The analyst says as much. It's not just Neo. The power is increased. The power to overcome, the power to deal with reality and the, the lie of the Matrix <clears throat> comes from the both of them together. The need that each other has for the other. And as a new man coming up out of baptism, born to a new life, you have a second chance to live your life right in accordance with what the Scripture teaches. And the Trinity needs, expects, your belief and adherence to that belief. And the way you adhere to that belief is how you act, how you behave, how do you act on that belief. And this film really drives home the, the, the absolute critical nature of that relationship between Neo and Trinity. And yes, they died at the end of the third movie. Neo, of course, sacrifices himself. It's a, it's a Christ figure type of thing to, get, to give you peace. And Resurrections could very well be not necessarily a second coming type of story, a revelation type of thing, but the idea of Resurrections, reboots, and such is very prevalent here. Not just with Neo and, and Trinity, but the resurrection of Morpheus, the reboot of Smith, the reboot of the architect. It's very interesting. Now, as I said before, I think it's happenstance. I'm not sure that this is exactly what Lena Wachowski had in mind. Maybe it was. Because what happens in Resurrections is consistent with what happens in the original trilogy. And a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people don't like this movie. They don't care for the meta nature of it. They don't really appreciate the lack of action. It's not as intense. But I think it's a deeper thinking movie. And I think it says a lot about our society as a whole. And I think it says a lot about the industry, the entertainment industry, the media industry, the tech industry. And we have this article in Collider, James McTeague, the producer, who has been with The Matrix from the very beginning, Started off as a first assistant director and is now a producer on, on this. And he says that Warner Brothers was planning on doing something from the get-go, whether the Wachowskis or, were involved or not. 
And talks have been going on for years, he says. And we know that uh, that Lana had the idea for resurrections following deaths in the family. And this idea comes fully formed. I'm ready to go. I know what I'm going to do. And Warner Brothers is going to do a Matrix movie with or without. So I might as well jump back in and do this. This is an opportunity for the the original creators of the franchise to come back to the franchise and still tell the story in their way rather than give up the creative control to some corporate shenanigans and maybe we get another Terminator Dark Fate. Maybe we get Ghostbusters 2016. Or we get Dukes of Hazard By having one of the original creators of the franchise involved in this particular installment, it at least has the potential to stay consistent with the original trilogy, and I think it does that. I think also that this is a very obvious, it's not subtle, but I think that this is an obvious swipe, a big middle finger at the Hollywood complex, the Hollywood machine, the, 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 the entertainment, the tech and entertainment sector that has decided to recycle every idea on the planet from the 80s and 90s especially and let's just redo everything let's just remake everything let's let's keep coming back and and dipping into that same well instead of digging new wells and the preponderance of the remakes and the sequels and the reboots and and and, and whatnot is getting old i've complained about it a number of times we've talked about it here various different shows and it's entirely possible that with Resurrections, Lana Wachowski effectively shuts the door on any more Matrix films. Maybe. There's always a possibility that Warner Brothers says, let's give it some time, let's see if it's got legs. Because as people start to see this more than once, and I encourage those who have criticized it, those who've said, this is a terrible movie, I encourage you to go back and look at it again. Culture Casino was one of those. I was on Midnight's Edge in the morning, and we were discussing it, and I told them what I saw. And Culture Casino, gentleman that he is, scholar that he is, he said, okay, I'll go take another look at it. And he saw some of the things that I was pointing out in his second viewing. And a lot of people are seeing that. That indictment, that... That critique of what Hollywood has been doing. Lana Wachowski is not taking back the red pill so much as red pilling the Matrix franchise. Because people are so invested in what makes the what makes the Matrix go. What makes the Matrix so successful? You see it in the in the brainstorming session, the montage of people that are trying to figure out what makes the what makes the Matrix tick. One word, bullet time. 
So many people are, are, are fixated on the superficial aspects of the Matrix trilogy that they don't see the underlying subtext of the story, and I think that's a mistake. I think it is a genuine error on the part of these young millennials or whoever else is in charge. The first Matrix made a splash because of bullet time, yes. The story holds up and people still enjoy it because it told a, it told a good story. And the story has meaning. The sequels, eh, okay. I mean, Reloaded was 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 not bad. Re- Revolutions kind of it kind of goes off the rails a little bit. I can I can acknowledge that, but I can see where it was going. And Warner Brothers is going to do this whether whether you're involved or not, Lana. James McTeague even says this. This was this was going to happen regardless. So in the, the movie, there's even a scene where Smith says, Warner Brothers wants a sequel to this video game. And of course, in the in the metaverse, in the in the world of the Matrix, the Matrix is Thomas Anderson's video game trilogy. And it was a hit. And how do we recreate that? How do we do that again? How do we capture lightning in a bottle twice? Because the Wachowskis have not had the gargantuan, massive success that everyone predicted they would have after The Matrix. Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, these films haven't performed well. They've done okay. But by and large, the Wachowski siblings have not had this blockbuster, gargantuan success like you would have expected when The Matrix came out. They were going to be the thing. They were going to be the new George Lucas, Steven Spielberg. (coughs) All sorts of comparisons being made. The Matrix was going to change everything. And it kind of did. I mean, from the standpoint of filmmaking technology and visual effects, sure. But I think Resurrections is also going to make a difference. I think Resurrections is also going to have an impact on the industry. Not by itself, but I think in combination with a number of things, I think people are going to start to wake up to what the Hollywood machine has been doing And we'll get into that right after this. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. I just can't imagine you reading racy adult material. But you know what? You know what? I have a, there's an author that I'm a big fan of. Uh, and he writes a science fiction series, and he writes a fantasy series, and he writes a smutty series. And the smutty series is really entertaining. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV.
live from the bunker. And we're talking the Matrix Resurrections. Dive down with me into a rabbit hole, if you will. Let me posit a theory. I have a suspicion, and I don't know that this is correct. I don't know that this is true. It's a suspicion. It is one of those things where I could be seeing something that isn't there. Keely Chow says the Wachowskis could have teamed up with DC to make a comic book series that took place between The Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, also, V for Vendetta, one of my favorite superhero comic book movies and one of my favorite movies from The Wachowskis. Although, it is not... Uh, according to the, uh, according to some, I've actually not read V for Vendetta, but I hear that it's not entirely an accurate adaptation, which is fine. I mean, that's what you're going to do, right? And yes, the Wachowskis had a great deal of potential that I think might, might not have come completely to fruition. But let me take you down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. And this is just me spinning a theory. Just I'm just spitballing here. I wonder if Lana sits there and says too many people are taking away the wrong lessons. And this is something, again, we've discussed in various different places. I've said, you know, when something succeeds, Hollywood always learns the wrong lesson from a success. Hollywood also learns the wrong lessons from its failures as well. Catwoman. <clears throat> Supergirl. It's not because those movies had a female lead. It's because those movies were not that good. And you have this notion now that we have to redo what's already been done. Hollywood has been doing this for a long while. And, and remakes are nothing new. I mean, there have been remakes. The Wizard of Oz was a remake. It's not unusual. But it is unusual, I think, to see so much of it now. And I, and I have put forth my theory before about how the people what in charge of Hollywood right now are trying to hang on desperately to their youth by remaking the things what they grew up with, trying to recapture that feeling that they had when they were kids. They're desperate for that. And I also think that they are desperate desperate for money. They're desperate for creative. And the safe thing to do is something that was popular before. You go for the name recognition. It doesn't always mean that you understand what makes it work. Alex Kurtzman. 
But the Resurrections storyline has us back in front of uh, the same pos- the same spot, the same starting point we were for the original film. Thomas Anderson learns through the actions of Morpheus that he is living in a construct. He's living in the Matrix. And everything that happened to him before actually did happen. And somehow he has uh, sublimated a piece of his brain to program code to, to get something out there that will pull him out of the Matrix. That's where Morpheus 2.0 comes from. And the idea of the bots and the swarm and the notion that the studio is moving forward regardless, all of those things being in the movie, I think, serve to criticize the Hollywood and tech society that we live in. We are so wired in to our devices. We are so, I mean, we're essentially tapped into the Matrix. We're not a power source so much, but we're a, we're a product. We're a revenue stream for these social media platforms, Facebook especially, but also Instagram, Twitter. They sell ads. They sell information. And all of that comes from us. We, as the users, have become a commodity. We're not people. We're product. And we even see in, the, in, in Resurrections, the analyst sits there and says that there are going to be people who don't want to unplug. They want their safe space. They want to be sheeple. They want to be told what to like and not like and what to be upset about and what to accept. That's where the algorithms come in. That's where the bots come in. Where we are programmed, we are conditioned to think and believe and want certain things and not believe and not want other things. Why do you think that there is such a desperate attempt to deflect any conversation about alternative therapeutics for a particular virus? We can't talk about sunlight. We can't talk about natural immunity. We can't talk about alternate drug therapies. We can't talk about diet and exercise. We can't talk about natural immunity for people who have recovered from the virus. None of that comes through the noise. Not very easily. Social media has these little traps. These fact checks. We are living in the matrix. And there are people who are waking up to that. Who are realizing just how deep in the muck we are and are trying to wake people up and 
I would submit that red pill does not necessarily have anything to do with conservatism so much as truth. The red pill, this notion of the red pill versus the blue pill, from the very beginning in the Matrix scenario, the red pill has always meant learn what's true. The blue pill has always led to diving back into the unreality, the manufactured reality of the Matrix, where truth can be manipulated and altered and manufactured, whereas the red pill, you see things for what they actually are. And it doesn't have anything to do with conservative versus liberal, progressive, libertarian, anything like that. I don't think that there's a political aspect to it until you get to what kinds of truths we're talking about. The actual realization that you've been sold a lie and the acknowledgement of same and, and the discussion of, oh crap, I've been told things that aren't true. That's the act of being red-pilled, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with who you voted for. It's realizing and understanding the real world, whatever that is, whether it has anything to do with vaccines or elections or political parties or social media movements or causes of various different stripes, any, any of that stuff. It doesn't matter. The red pill means I see the truth for what it is. And there's really not any way that Lana Wachowski could take that back because it's not about Republicans. It's about reality. And this film actually kind of reinforces that. I think that there is an argument to be made that the Resurrections storyline red-pills everybody who thought that we should go back to the Matrix. That's just me, though. Keely Chow says, I'd love for you to be on either Infinite Talk or Breaking the Narrative on Nina Infinity's channel. I, I would welcome an opportunity to talk to Nina. I enjoy some of the things that she said. I think that'd be kind of fun. I I will look into that. I think uh, I think that would be a fun discussion to have. But I think this idea of of the people you have you have <clears throat> some of the media coming out. I mean, you can even see this play out in 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 the initial reactions, the 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 reviews, the 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 pre-release reviews where it was being compared to the last Jedi from Star Wars. And that's automatically a hot button. And to me, it's a dog whistle because there are people, and we know who some of them are, who are on the YouTubes, who are on the interwebs, who have decided that anything having to do with Star Wars or Doctor Who or, or Star Trek or anything else is automatically going to be garbage. And I think 
that the people who are making the comparison between Resurrections and The Last Jedi are doing it on purpose in order to provoke a negative response, the assumption that Resurrections is going to be woke, that Resurrections is going to be political. It's going to be driven by ideology and identity politics, and it's not. Did I lose my internet? Funny how that works, isn't it? How we're talking about the Matrix, and we're talking about the internet, and we're talking about being so connected into a false reality, and observing and analyzing how some people are perfectly fine being part of that manufactured reality and calling into question some of the truths, quote-unquote, that we've been told. And somehow, oh, hey, we lost our internet connection. Hmm. I am of an age, and I am getting older and more used to the idea that there are no coincidences, Mr. Anderson. We know that Google reads our email. We know that Facebook looks at everything that we do. We know that all of these cookies and bots and algorithms analyze our behavior. And some of these algorithms, they get pretty tricky. And some of them involve listening to what we say. Uh, Keith Chow says, I'd also love for you to be on Yelling at Parked Cars on Comics Division's channel, Rogue Resistance on Drew's channel. I will reach out to them and, and, uh, and pass that along. I, I, have, I caught uh, Comics Division's show the other day. Uh, this is the one where Culture Casino actually acknowledged that he had gone back through and looked at Matrix Resurrections a second time because he told me he would. And um, I like hearing that I'm right from time to time. I don't always like being right because depending on the topic. But <coughs> I find it interesting that there's been so much division in reactions to this, but also the fact that you hear you look at Rotten Tomatoes, Matrix Resurrections has a 65% uh, critic score and 63% uh, audience score. And like I said before, before we get in, interrupted by internet drop, I think that comparing Resurrections to The Last Jedi was a deliberate provocation to provoke this... Uh, anger and vitriol and assumption that the movie was going to be bad. Because I think somebody looked at this and saw what it was actually what it was. And maybe the sabotage doesn't come from Lana Wachowski so much as it comes from inside the Hollywood machine that says we can't have people looking at this. We can't have people examining the meta levels of this because this is an indictment of everything Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Hollywood has been trying to do, has been doing. 
We can't let people see this. And so, let's compare it to The Last Jedi. People hate The Last Jedi. We'll stir up anger, and we'll stir up review bombs, and we'll get people saying that it's going to be terrible, and it won't do very well at the box office, and then we don't have to make any more, and then five years down the road we can make our own and reboot it. I think that Resurrections is a way for the creators of the franchise to say, enough. We're done. We don't need any more. Now, the ending is left open enough that you could conceivably spin out a sequel, but why do you need to? Because this film reinforces what the original trilogy was saying, that Neo is not the one. Neo and Trinity are the one. Neo doesn't have the power without her. The new man does not have power to overcome without the Trinity. And if that's not a gospel message, I don't know what is. And I think when you couple that with the brainstorming session where everybody's like, what makes the Matrix work? Bullet time. It is, it is an indictment also of the superficial, the superficial nature of the internet where we can hide behind usernames and avatars and anonymity and say whatever we want to say with relative impunity. And where has that gotten us? A mess. It is definitely uh, something there that I think uh, I think some people didn't want to be there. Uh, Keely Chow says, Warner Brothers to the Wachowskis, we're going to make a fourth Matrix movie with or without you. That's exactly, uh, that's exactly right. James McTeague even said so. There's Mrs. Boss. Everyone with the film is saying no to another trilogy. Now that's another point uh, that, uh, that's another point that McTeague says in this interview with Collider. At this point, at this point, there is no discussion uh, because this this film, Resurrections, takes place in the chronology of the, of the franchise. This film takes place 60 years past the end of Revolutions. And at the end of Revolutions, which kind of sounds like Revelation, but at the end of Revolutions, you have this, uh, this coda scene where the architect and the oracle are looking at each other, and the architect says, how long do you think this is going to last? And the Oracle says it'll last as long as it lasts. Giving us an out that it's this cooperation, this, this, this truce between humans and the machines is not going to be a permanent thing. We're not going to ride off into the sunset with a happy ending forever and ever. Amen. But also in that discussion is the agreement that people who want to get out of the Matrix should be allowed to get out of the Matrix. And that sets the groundwork 
for what we get in Resurrections. And I think that there's also a little bit of a mea culpa there in that you know, a lot of people are very upset that Neo and Trinity died in the third film. So, okay, maybe that was a mistake. Let's bring them back. But I think their deaths in that, in that film serve a purpose because it sets Neo up, uh, not necessarily as a Christ figure, but, you know, self-sacrifice. The idea of doing for others. You know, greater love hath no man than someone to, to lay down his life for his brother. Neo is the embodiment of that. Here are the writers weighing in. Uh, Alexander Hemmen uh, telling Gizmodo it's too early to be involved. There's no, so many things that need to happen. As of now, this is it. And the other writer, um, David Mitchell, that's the situation to the best of my knowledge as well. Of course, who knows what happens in the future, dot, 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 question mark. To the best of our knowledge, there are no plans. That echoes what James McTeague says. He says, we've got no prequel in mind, we've got no sequel in mind, we've got no further trilogy. This is it. At least as far as they're concerned. Warner Brothers could sit there and say, yeah, you know, it's not. They could still go back and do more. But they'll be on their own. And I think that if they decide to do that, we're going to have another Terminator Dark Fate situation where they're going to go to that well one too many times and they're going to kill the Golden Goose. They're going to kill their franchise. They're going to um, milk this past its expiration date. I don't think we need any more Matrix movies. It's time for something new. We put the remakes to bed. We put the sequels to bed. We can already see this. I mean, yes, Ghostbusters Afterlife sets up the possibility of more sequels, but it also could serve as a one-off that closes that book. Matrix Resurrect Resurrections does the same thing. It does end on a note that leaves it open for more, but it does it in a way where you could say, that's it, we're done. Turn out the lights, we're closed. And I'm really hoping that it does that. Although, <coughs> if people take to heart what I'm saying and what other people are saying, that upon second and third viewings, you're actually seeing the meta nature of this, and it actually has more meaning than you might initially assume, this thing could grow legs, and it could become a long-range hit, not an overnight hit. Kind of like the way some cult movies become successful. Buckaroo Banzai. The Last Starfighter, those kind of things where they gain a cult following, they gain more popularity and success further away from the initial release. And it's entirely possible that Resurrections is going to have 
that kind of response where people are actually going to sit there and go, oh, I get it now. We have to go watch it again. I'll be interesting. I'll be interested to see what the numbers are six months from now. Because it's on HBO Max. People can watch it there. People can watch it in the theaters. I do recommend you see it in the theater. And I do recommend that you watch it. Because the entire film is one giant red pill. And that's all I got to say about that. Okay. Tomorrow, the 350th episode of this show. Hold on to your hats. We're going to be talking about the new year. We're going to discuss some plans for 2022. Uh, some resolutions that we're going to be talking about. And as far as all of the other shows coming back, we will be back on uh, January 3rd for Money Talk here on, on this show. Good Morning Multiverse comes back on the 8th, as does Foreign Bodies. And I think Mr. Harvey and Ms. Walker are going to be talking about holiday horror there. Uh, continuing the through line that uh, Christopher Hoffman did here a couple of weeks ago, talking about holiday ho uh, horror stories, ghost stories. Salacious Crumbs with our Star Wars news back on January the 9th, and then the H2O podcast back Monday the 10th. There are a number of programs here for you to enjoy, and I do hope you take advantage of that. Also, connect with us on all of the socials, we're on a number of different video platforms. We've got a newsletter you can sign up for. If you have material to send us for review, uh, you can send it to that mailing address there, 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. Uh, Keely Chow there. I hope 2022 will be a good year for this community. I do, too. I, and, I, and I think that... Uh, uh, those of you who have stuck around for a little bit, I think uh, hopefully you recognize some value in what we do. We appreciate all of you being here. If you are new to the channel, uh, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on. Uh, feel free to explore the rest of our particular corner of the Matrix. Check out some of the different videos, the interviews that we've had, the, the review discussions, panel discussions. And we're definitely going to be doing more of that. Uh, as we get into the new year. Very exciting stuff ahead. I can't wait to tell you about it. Some of it I'll tell you about tomorrow, and the rest of it will come later. I will leave you with this thought. It is, I believe, I, I believe this is Mark Twain. I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me. It's easier to lie to someone than it is to convince them they've been lied to. Remember, folks, they want you to think there are five lights, but there are only four lights. Thanks for watching. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.